second song. I've been that fully on Jericho. <laughs> but since we planted this church, you know, it's there's always this dynamic of you want to preach the word, hold the word up, because this is important. This is like God's word of God that he's, he's given us. Right? It's all penitent himself that he conserved himself. And then at the same time, um, you have the Holy Spirit that lives in all of us. And that's the way that the Lord works and moves in our lives. And you're not, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You're not baptized in the Father, Son, the Holy Word. The Holy Spirit brings illumination and revelation to this Word. So we understand how to use it and how to rightfully use it. And like Billy Graham said, it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. I think it's super wise. And so you can pick apart certain pieces in here that you like, or maybe they think work out really well, they think you understand. But to really get the whole, what God is really like, man, you really need the whole thing. And so I was talking with some pastors like, man, you, we went through, you know, I forget how many books of the Bible now, it's eight or nine, maybe the book of Acts we did, we started that off, and there was like nobody there, that was fun. So the book of Acts, so we got to go back to that, because literally no one was there. Um, book of Acts, and uh, we did, let's see, book of John, we did Matthew, right, we did First Corinthians, we did the book of Ephesians. Uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. And we, we took little, you know, sidetracks. Diverted a little bit, just six or seven weeks here, four weeks there, just a week here, just whatever, just talking about different things that we feel like the Spirit was doing, you know? So um, it's been really good. So I've been enjoying First Samuel 23. And it seems like there's been some good fruit happening and different conversations with people too. So that's important, and I'm glad to hear that too. So let's pray and see what we can pull out today. Sound good? Okay. <clears throat> Father, we, uh, we don't approach this book like any other book. We know that in it are words of life. And we desire to have those words of life not just enter our mind, but penetrate our hearts and then come out through our actions. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd really just bring some uh, fresh revelation, that you breathe some fresh life. Um, teach us and make us aware of just principles, commandments, promises, encouragements that, that we need to hold on to. Make us aware of um, sins and problems and things we need to stay away from. I pray that uh, we wouldn't be able to just mentally agree with your truths and have that be okay. May we also be hungry to just be transformed by it. Not to just receive, but be transformed by it. We thank you for your amazing gift of your written word, and we cherish even more your spoken word to our hearts. And we pray that you do that for us this morning. We thank you that you speak something. May our hearts not be hardened. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, First Samuel 23. Let's take a look. So we're kind of picking up in the middle of the passage here. We're going to pick up in verse 14. And uh, we left off where David is on the run. He helped save somebody. He overextended himself to help somebody out. And what he got in return is their adoration, their protection, and their loyalty. No, he did not. Just making sure you're awake, that's all. No, he did not get that, right? What he did is he was faithful to what God called him to do. He went, made himself vulnerable. They went and attacked another town that couldn't defend themselves. He himself was on the run. He can't really defend himself that well. He saw an opportunity to save somebody else and help them, extended himself. And uh, they were prepared to give him up. And so then he went on the run again. And that's where we pick up now. And we talked about last time how um, God's will can be very confusing. Amen on that? Amen on that. Well, what makes God's will very confusing? Well, what makes God's will confusing is our feelings. Everybody say feelings. feelings. Our emotional life can make God's will confusing. And so, it was God's will, and continues to be, we're going to read in a minute, for him to be bouncing from uncomfortable place to uncomfortable place. God purposely put him there. He was in the middle of his plan and of his will. 
exactly where he was supposed to be. It looked nothing like he thought it was going to look. It felt nothing like he thought it was going to feel. But nonetheless, he was exactly where God wanted him to be. Right in the middle of it. And so sometimes, you know, I hear people, it's like, you know, they, they become part of a Bible study or they uh, join a group of somebody or they decide to befriend somebody or they really decide to invest in somebody's life in some way. Um, they just take some sort of real significant step in their own life. And sometimes what happens is the immediate results are not all that inspiring or even encouraging. So then typically people come and they talk to me and they say, hey, I think I made a huge mistake here. I don't think I really heard from the Lord really at all. Because the reasoning and the logic is, if I did hear from God, it wouldn't be looking like and feeling like this. And my response is like, really? Who told you that? (laughs) Why would you think that? There is like this thing in there inside of us to where we think that, you know, if we're doing what God really wants us to do and we're right in the middle of what he wants us to do, that somehow things just easily all flow together and just dovetail and it's just this beautiful flowery story. It's like, you know, maybe sometimes that does happen. Um, But honestly, most of the time, that's just not the way it goes. It's just not the way it goes. And I can just even tell you from firsthand experience. The Jared that God has created and that he had in mind, I'm, I'm still learning about what that is and what that looks like. I don't have it on lock yet, but I'm getting better and I'm getting closer. And so the Debbie that God had in mind when he created Debbie, he had something very specific in mind. He's a creator. That's what artists do. It's what creators do. They're just like, ah, let's see how it pans out. He's very deliberate. And how many people know like God doesn't need like He doesn't need a rough draft. And so, God has to do specific things in our lives and around our lives to make sure we're getting close to and we're approaching and we're in line with what He created us to be. The word for that is destiny. We have a certain destiny on our lives, right? That's why I love her name. Yeah, you looked at it. When I first met Destiny, I was like, wow, I was like, that is, I love that name. Speaks volumes. Right? Speaks volumes. So we have destiny upon our lives, and for some reason, a lot of times, the Christians, we get sort of blown away, or, or it's like, or even sometimes we'll say things like, man, the devil's really got me. He's really working on me here. You know, I, I don't know how true a lot of that is. Could be really true that God's really got a hold of this situation. And he's using whatever he needs to use to make sure you're going to end up where you need to be. That tends to happen a lot. So, it's been helpful for me to go through this book and to read through 1 Samuel and see the way God works in this man's life. He had a significant call in his life. And he had to move from shepherd in the field with all, you know, taking care of sheep and maybe some private battles over lions and bears, and wow. Then, God's going to take him to be king of an entire nation. He needs leadership skills. People have to follow him. They, they need to want to follow him. They have to sh- he has to have some kind of record of winning. Uh, how do you even lead an entire nation? Sheep? Well, I guess sheep and, nation, and a nation maybe aren't that different, but there definitely are some differences. So he's got to learn all kinds of things. And what if people betray you? What if people take advantage of you? Right? What if there's dissension in the ranks? Well, all these things. So David's heart has to be prepared in such a way so we can handle all that. And so reading through at least a good chunk of first thing we've read through so far, that's like we get to see how God is preparing and working him. So I hope that when you read this, one, I hope you don't just read it on a Sunday morning. I hope you just don't read it when we do it together here. You're really doing yourself a huge disservice. And you're really eliminating a big part of the Holy Spirit work in your life. The Holy Spirit primarily wants to speak to you, not just through me or somebody else. So, that's one of the other good things about reading through the Bible, is that you got time in during the week. Man, enjoy it with your King, with your Savior, and say, Lord, like, what are you speaking, and what are you doing here? And Sunday mornings tend to be more richer and come more alive, too. 
So let's see what's going on with David. He's on the run. Uh, again, he's on the hunt. And so he's the place where everybody wants to be in the wilderness. Verse 14. It says, David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. So David is in the place nobody wants to be. He's in the desert, isolated by himself. And if you ever were to Google, don't do it now, but do it, Google it during the week, um, these strongholds and foothills of Ziph, it's this super rocky, uncomfortable, like awkward terrain. So you have like forests, and then you have like mountains, and you have like this desert, desert area. It's just, just when you think you're sort of getting used to something, it just changes. How many people like that in life? Yeah. I know, everybody loves it. I can tell. David's living that. Like that's his life. So as soon as he got used to an area and to a spa and a certain way of just getting his food and just having a daily routine, it just, just switches. And some of us, we just find great comfort just in a routine throughout the day. And it's like, if that gets violated or intruded upon, it's like, then we're a wreck. But I'm saying David's life, like he's in this place and in this season where God is doing a significant work in his life and nothing is really solidified or concrete. And that's just the season of life that he's in right now. And it says that, Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. I do like one of these when I read that. Everybody do this. Nice fist pump. That's the one. I'm like, yes, go God on that. Because here's the truth behind that. The truth behind that is, no matter how determined someone might be to bring about your destruction or your ruin, they don't have the final declaration. Right? No matter how determined someone might be to bring forth your destruction and your ruin, your failure, to just ruin you, And in this case, it was pretty heavy duty, like he wanted to kill David. God says, well, you know what? I'll use maybe a lot of what Saul wants to do, a lot of the evil in this situation. I'll still use it to make David become the man he needs to be. But there is certainly a place where, you know what? I'm just not going to let this guy Saul get to nor touch. And if you could think about it in such a way to where it's like our father. And then you think about the enemy who goes around, the Bible says, like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And then the word says, he waits for opportune times to attack people. Opportune. Everybody say opportune. That's like when you're tired. That's when you just got into a fight with your spouse. That's when your friend just let you down. Um, that's when your kids just did something epically more dumb than they did the last time. That's when you thought you really made progress in a certain area and you just did something that's like, oh my... You know what I'm saying? Those kinds of areas, that kinds of thing, the enemy just relishes in that. And people who really, they're not in right relationship with God, they don't like God, they don't believe in God, um, sadly, they also enjoy those moments because it just builds up their own anti-theology against God. But the good news is, the good news and the hope is, is that if we remain transparent, we remain humble, we remain repentant before God. Everybody say transparent. Everybody say humble. humble. Everybody say repentant. Those are the, that's a trifecta right there. We need to be living that out as a lifestyle. If that's actually the case, it's truly a promise, not just here, but also in the New Testament, that no matter what may come in, what may come around, what may go down, that nothing can thwart take over, destroy 
the good work that God is doing in our lives. It's a really good word. And it's really important for us to believe and grow in faith on that. And I'm thankful that we get to read about how Saul, he just kept getting closer and closer to him, but he's like, no, there's just, you know what? You're not going this far. That's it. No more. Can't go that far. I'm protecting mine. I'm protecting. And we're going to see as we continue to read through this here, there is this huge element of preparation, for sure, but there's this also complementary and beautiful element of God's heart that's protection and covering. Sometimes we think we're not really being protected or covered when we are experiencing tremendous amounts of uh, anxiety, turmoil, anguish, confusion. We think, well, how come my father like, isn't protecting me from all these bad things happening around me? The reality is, he's really protecting and covering a lot more than we know or what we think. He really is. You know what's a really good prayer to add to your prayer repertoire? God, thank you for your protection and for your deliverance that I don't even see and I don't even know about. And can you please add that prayer to times when you feel the most overwhelmed, most frustrated, and are most confused? That's really showing some faith on your behalf. And even if you don't totally believe it, you can tell God that because you're not surprising Him. He knows. You tell them, like, God, I, I, I think this is true, but man, I'm not feeling it right now. Show me that it is. So let's keep going. So David is hiding out, moving from place to place. He's on the run. There's a determination. But there's only one that has the final declaration. Verse 15. While David was out Harish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan, remember him? He went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. All right, one, I love how God, He's protecting. God protects His own. He protects His own. Ones that He knows His hearts are really fully committed and devoted to Him, He protects them. His favor over them. There's just some things that won't enter into their lives that may enter into somebody else's life. And then I love how God not only protects him on sort of this like sovereign God sort of unseen realm. He protects him and just won't let allow, allow Saul to enter and to do harm to him. But also, God also is providing a faithful friend. So he's providing a protection for sure, but then he's providing a faithful friend. And here's why I like this, is because most people would agree with the idea that it's good to have good influences in your life. Right? A good influence. So good influences, right? What do they do typically in your life? Well, they typically try and like get you away from doing bad things. Right? They're usually the ones that are like, hey, listen, you know what? You shouldn't take that last drink. You just shouldn't. In fact, maybe you shouldn't even really touch it. It's good influence. Especially if you, know, you have a certain problem with that. Or they say, hey, listen, you know what? That crew over there, like, you could, but man, I think that's just going to be a problem. Right? It's what good influences do in a life. Um, good influences, they say, hey, uh, you really need to take care of these certain responsibilities in your life. You know, are you doing a good job as far as, you know, this, this, and this? Right? Good influences help you to do that. I like... God's idea of a good influence. Because God's idea of a good influence is they're just not positive reinforcements in your life. 
They actually, like the Bible just says, they strengthen you in the Lord. They strengthen you in the Lord. So not only did Jonathan show up and he said, hey, listen, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. We'll figure this thing out. Like, we've got to think positive. We think negative. It's nothing's good going to happen. I don't know. Those are like good intentions. But we said last week, good intentions don't win any battles. They don't win battles. What, well, who wins battles is God himself, right? That's just what he does. He always wins. Whenever he shows up, he just always wins. It's just, it's not fair. That's just the way it is. The setup. He always wins. And God will place certain people in and around our lives that we really have to take notice of and pay attention to because they can really strengthen our hands in the Lord, strengthen us in the Lord. All Jonathan did is he came up and he he just reminded David of what they've already took a covenant about. This wasn't their first time taking a covenant. This is their third time. Jonathan shows up at different places when the wall seemed to be closing in on David. And he says, listen, when you're king, when you have your kingdom, in every one of these moments, David has been nothing but far from kingship, far from the kingdom, and really way out of where David thought he would be. And then you have this voice coming in and be like, you know what? You're a king. And when you're in your kingdom, and when all this is taken care of, and I just love the voice of faithful promise and destiny that steps in and calls what's going to be coming like into reality. Don't you love that? So not only does God just protect him and just not let Saul just come in and just wipe him out, he provides a faithful voice. And says, hey, listen, man, I'm trying to remind you of what God has already said. I'm just here to remind you. And actually, this is the last time they're actually ever going to meet. And the sad reality is, Jonathan says, hey, listen, I'll be number two, you'll be number one, like, we'll make this thing happen, you know. Sadly, we're going to find out later, uh, Saul and Jonathan, they die in battle, so they're never going to meet again. So it won't be like this one-two thing. But the thing that is interesting is that the son of Jonathan and the descendants of Jonathan, they will always have a place at the king's table and they always will. And they always have when we're going to read later on when we get further into 1 Samuel. But his descendants will always be there. So it's pretty interesting. So Jonathan just comes. He provides this voice of encouragement, this voice of reason, saying like, listen, listen God's got this. He's going to establish you. Don't worry about it. Can you imagine if you're David? Like, listen, do you see exactly what's happening? We just came from a cave. Now we're in a desert. Next we're going to a wilderness. We got people trying uh, to kill us, namely your dad, which is interesting to me that like Jonathan knew where he was, but he wouldn't give him up to his dad. Isn't that interesting? He was keeping secrets. There's holy secrets. You can keep holy secrets. But then there's something that needs to come to the light. Those aren't holy secrets. You need to confess those. Um, and so he's there just encouraging him, encouraging him, right? And then he leaves. I wonder if God sent that word of encouragement because maybe God knew some more bad news might be coming. Do you think God does that? Sometimes it happens that way. So let's keep going. So it says, verse 19. The Ziphites, everybody say Ziphites. Yeah. They went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakalah, south of Jeshimon? Now, O king, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for handing him over to the king. Oh, isn't that just some great news? Saul replied, The Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and make further preparation. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he's very crafty. How many people know he's not really crafty? God's just with him. Right? People that aren't close to the Lord and they don't understand certain things are like, man, they're just, they have a knack. How do they do that? 
The reality is they just walk with the king and he just has a blessing and favor on their life. That's just what it is. It can't be attributed to their physical talent, personality trait, and abilities. It's just God has a hand on their life. But that's the way it appears to people that aren't in relationship with God. Man, they're so smart. They're so gifted. They're so crafty. So talented. Really? Man, you'd be surprised. I've been around some real... uh, uh, what's a good word here? Not very impressive people. But then you see when they're really surrendered and they're living the right way and they're really um, in the center of what God has them doing, it's like, wow, they are impressive. And it's like, honest, God, not a lot to do with them. The only thing I had to do with them is that they surrendered, they took a leap and step of faith, and they embraced what God wanted to do. Basically, they just said Yes. And then God made them be impressive. Not that we're all on a you know, trek to be impressive. But I'm just saying that's kind of the nature of heaven. It's just pretty impressive. So, verse 23 says, Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among the clans of Judah. So they sent out, went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Maon and the Arabah south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went to the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. So you can tell things are heating up. Everybody say heating up. Yeah, it's heating up. Verse 26, Saul was going along one side of the mountain and David's men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly. The Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Selah. I can't even say that word, okay? It means rock of parting. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. So you kind of have like this sort of dramatic event. Be a good movie, right? You have them like on one side. So I was like hunting with all his guys. David and his guys know they're coming. And they're like, it's, it's just like a ridge. It's not even a tall mountain. And they're like on one side. They're on the other. And they're like, <laughs> and then you got the messenger coming in. Hey, people are, the Philistines are in our land and they're pillaging. They're taking stuff. And Saul's like, you can just t- probably see it on Saul's face. I almost have him. But he's like, I gotta go now. And then he leaves. Right? And so David is like, super close. Super close. It looks super close to us. How many people know that from the beginning of time, God knew he was going to end up like that? And he's like, it's not really close for me. I mean, you know. But for you, yeah, it was close. It was close. But it's okay. Like, I'm in control of this. I already decided nothing's going to happen to you. I already told you you're going to be king of the land. How could you be king of the land if you're going to die today? Do you understand it's about believing promises? All we can see is the drama, though. And all we can feel are the emotions many times. We feel the anxiety. We feel like the overwhelmment. We feel like the rushedness. We just get tense. And we just, we feel all of it. It's just there. And you're not holier if you learn how to suppress that and act like it's never there. That's not the calling for Christians of how to handle emotions, is to like suppress and act like it never happened and just live in denial. It's never part of God's will to live in denial in any way, shape, or form. You get that one? You might want to tweet that one later. It's never in God's will to live in denial. That shuts the door for the light to come in and for transparency to happen. So the question is, what do you do with those emotions? How do you handle How do you process that? Well, it's not something that gets done just overnight, just in a, hey, do these three steps, boom, 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 hey, you're good. It doesn't quite happen that way. It takes some years, takes some time. And much of what David had to be prepared for and learn how to deal with was just, turmoil of an emotional life of things always changing things always invading 
Things always becoming difficult. So I want to turn your attention to Psalm 54. He wrote this during this time. Psalm 54. This is how he handled his emotions. He wrote this He wrote this when he found out that the Ziphites, his own countrymen, fellow Israelis, they're going to give him up. He must have just been hurting that day. I would, I would imagine, I would think. He's like, man, the town we just saved, they're going to give us up. But they didn't say that they're going to give him up until like, they asked God. Like, they didn't volunteer it. The Ziphites didn't volunteer it. Hey, Saul, listen. You can just see the brown nose right on him. You know what I mean? Like, we'll give him up to you. We'll tell you everything that he does. And Saul's like, God bless you. God bless you. Further from the blessing of God. I mean, it's just nonsense. And so when, Saul, when David hears the fights are giving him up, and he's going to be on the run again, and Saul's going to be coming after him again, he, he writes this psalm. He says, save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. So that's what he wrote when he was really hurting. And you could tell right from the very beginning, right? It was desperation. God, save me, please. Save me, please. And it's okay to ask that to God and to say that to God. We're going to come into seasons sometimes where it's just like, man, Lord, I don't see the end of this thing. I don't understand how I'll get out of this current mess and situation I'm in. Save me, please. Please, God, do something. Show up and do something. I don't understand it. It's really good that our prayers don't stay there, though. Verse 4 is when he turns it around. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I hope you know it took some faith to write that down, right? Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. It's pretty rare um, when you come in contact with people and they're really going through it. Usually, you hear a lot about how difficult the situation is and how challenging it is and all the things that went wrong. And it's like they really just want a lot of sympathy and a lot of compassion. And um, I think we should offer, certainly, sympathy and compassion when it calls for it. There also has to be a certain element, a certain part to us that comes back around and, and where we come back and we say, but you know what? God is going to help us. Lord will sustain us and bring us through this thing. I don't know how, but I know that he will. That's not a common response for a lot of people, but it really should be a common response for God's people. Like, man, I had a hard day today. It was hard. Like, I felt like a lot of things went wrong. I felt like things played out. I don't know, it was confusing. I feel like I'm battling this, and I don't think I'm ever going to get victory over it. It's just like, ah, I don't know. But it has to be in our vocabulary and in our hearts somewhere. To where we don't just say it to ourselves, but we also say it to other people. It's important that we, by, with our mouth, say these things. Like, I don't know, but God, man, He saved me from my sins and He paid for me at Calvary. I know that. And I know He's going to sustain me and do something now. It's really important for us to come to that level. Because what we're doing in that moment is we're saying, listen, I'm not interested in getting a lot of sympathy from you. A little bit would help, you know, to come relate with me, come kind of understand. And that's okay. 
But what it does say to yourself and to whoever else is around, it's saying, listen, that is what it is, but there's a God who is greater, and that's like what I'm relying on. That's what I'm dependent upon. That's who I'm relying on. So yes, maybe it is what it is, but it's not as it seems. It is what it is, but it's not as it seems. Because if you notice in that, when verse 4 happened, he didn't go back to the same way of thinking he did in the first couple of verses that were sort of lost and just full of despair. He just continued on down that track. Then he's like, let evil recoil on those. And verse 6, I love it. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name for it is good. He's saying, listen, you know what? Even if it is happening to me this way right now, I won't let that prohibit, obstruct, paralyze me from giving you praise and from giving you glory, from giving you honor, saying that your name is good, lifting my hands up when the song comes on, singing the words when they're on the board, reading my Bible when it's there, staying on my version Bible app plan. I'm not going to skip my day. I'm going to say, yes, I'm staying in it, Lord, because you are good and you are faithful. Because that's where the battle's being fought is when I'm doing this and when I'm staying here and I'm winning this. We're not winning anything by talking about and staying in a place where how difficult and how negative and how problematic a certain issue or circumstance is. We win nothing. We win nothing. And all of what we're saying might be true, but we're not winning anything. We're destined, we're equipped, we're called to be overcomers. God gets to determine and set up how that's going to look and how that will play out, but it is very much our part to believe in what he said and to stay faithful to it. And it changes our lives forever once we actually do it. It really does. And then he closes up, right? For he's delivered me from all my troubles, just like he will in this one. And my eyes have looked in triumph on all my foes. Right? I'm so glad verse 4 happened. He was able to turn it back around again. Super important. Really significant. And um, I think I read it this past week. I'll leave you with this and then we'll uh, take communion. Only in isolation will God be able to deliver a supreme revelation. Only in isolation will God be able to give us revelation. Just, just, that's just the way it happens a lot of times. When I say revelation, I mean a better understanding of who God is and what he's doing in the moment in a situation. So God, how are you calling me to parent and be with my kids? God, what are you calling me, right? We got youth. What are you calling me, Lord, for like in school, next steps for college? God, how to do that there? Right, depend whatever the season is in life, we want to have a revelation as far as what the Holy Spirit is doing, so we can like go in the same direction and be encouraged by that. Otherwise, we're just kind of floating around and just sort of trying everything and just seeing what shakes out. And so many times we actually don't ask God for a revelation from heaven about what he's actually doing, what he wants to do, until we're in a desert, until we're in really difficult and uncomfortable places, until everything's like falling apart, then it's like, God, what are we doing? What is your will? What do you want to do? I want to follow you. (laughs) Well, isn't that interesting? Since everything sucks, now you want to follow him. The reality is, like, there's a purpose behind pain. And it's very fruitful and can be very productive. And the truth of the matter is, most of us, we need to be taken to some really painful places so God can do a really fruitful work. So maybe we can fight back a little bit less. 
and just embrace the process and not be so surprised when it comes our way. Wow, it feels like it's caving in and things are getting really crazy and difficult. Well, I'm not really surprised. I know who Jehovah is and the God of the Bible and I've seen what has happened to his faithful. And this is what happens. These seasons come up and they happen. So let's just stamp our tickets and get in line and just be ready for it. And I'm not saying we just all love punishment and we just all want to be tortured. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's hopefully be a type, be a people that's just not surprised when a lot of just painful things come up or they are just brought into our lives. It's just going to happen. I mean, it just comes with the territory. And the good news is, if it's pretty painful and we're walking through it, there is significant fruit and there is significant victory that lies on the other side and we have to just stay engaged and let God do His work. And so I pray that we do. And so I felt like really God's heart behind the message this morning is just to call us to a place of just really embracing what he wants to do, because it's really good. And he's faithful to who he says he is. And there are some things that he's just going to say, you know what? No. That just will not happen. It just won't happen. But maybe some other stuff will happen, but there's just some things I'm just going to say no to. So there is this protection element. There is this provision for sure. And God, like I keep saying, he's better than we think. I'll leave you with this last verse, and then we're doing communion comes from Romans 8. I'm sure you've heard it before. Here's what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, um, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? I mean, if God truly is for you, then like, who can be like... So whatever like battle you want to disengage from, don't do it. Don't do it. Stay engaged with whatever it is. It's worth it. And if you're living in a, like a surrendered, like we talked about, um, transparent, authentic, repentant life before Him, God is for you. And you're going to a good place, and good things are going to happen. And good doesn't always feel good, but it doesn't mean it's not good. Okay? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God who is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the power of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. So, let's have some help here passing out these elements. Somebody would have mind. Ooh, I like that shirt. Nice pick. So hold on to the elements.
So God, as we just, uh, we just sit here, Lord, reflecting on your truth, Father, about the nature of your heart and the faithfulness of who you are, we just want to say thank you, Lord. We want to say thank you, God, that you're a greater and you're above any and all situations. We thank you, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love that you have for us, Lord. I thank you that nothing can happen that can rob us of salvation, of heaven itself, of all the inheritance that we have within Jesus. Nothing can take that away from us. And we just thank you for it, Lord. And we just declare over situations in our lives that you are God of the impossible. That you change all things. We declare your victory over situations. We declare your goodness over situations, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be um, radically encouraged by your heart when it comes to being faithful in the midst of challenging circumstances. May we not be discouraged easily in our homes, Lord. May we not be discouraged easily when people betray us, close friends. People that aren't even our friends, I pray we wouldn't be affected when people post things online, Lord, that, you know, whatever, God. I pray that we wouldn't be able to enter into arguments and quarrel some things that just aren't fruitful or productive. Father, I know you're calling many in our church family, Lord, to upholding certain disciplines in their life, Lord, that need to be there. And I pray, Father, that uh, those people would just respond, Lord. I thank you, Father, that anything that you have allowed to come into our lives, it won't be wasted, and you have a good plan for it. And I thank you that you're greater than any situation or circumstance that may come our way. And I just ask you, Father, to bring fresh vision in the young minds we have in here, Lord, just the teenagers. Give them a vision for their life, Lord. They're going to have to, of course, know your will of how to play that out. But I just pray for a vision, that you just release vision on their lives, Lord. Pray for parents, that you release vision upon parents and how to be parents and how to effectively parent their kids. Even if they've made mistakes for a long time, it doesn't mean it's lost. It's not over. Father, just for any season of life, Lord. I pray, God, that we would be hungry, Lord, for setting up your word in our seasons of life and having your word be the dominant theme. And I pray that you'd fill our hearts, you fill our homes, you fill this church with more testimonies of how faithful you have been. And where it seemed like the enemy was so close, to just ruining and wrecking everything and have everything fall apart to where you were faithful, you were still there. You kept things together. We still got to where we needed to go. Fill us with more stories of that, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, for the way that you modeled faithfulness. And how you agonized in the garden before you were crucified on the cross. You said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And then you said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And I just pray that that's a cry of our hearts. So keep your eyes closed, head bowed. Um, If you've never uh, actually asked God 
to have His will fully be done 110% on His terms, His way. If you've never ever done that before and you want to do that right now before we take communion, just look up to me. be a great time to start it. We've never actually said that to God. Praise God on that. Praise God. Anybody else? Okay. So what you say when you look up is you're saying, I want to do, Lord, everything that you're calling me to do 110% your way. That's what that means. And they're still looking at me, so that's good. So let's pray. So Father, those that have looked up, I thank you for that, Lord. They've responded to something going on in their hearts, Lord. And we all in this room, Lord, we know that living victoriously now is going to have to do with a lot more than just looking up. It's going to have to do with staying close. And we pray for an extra measure of protection, Lord, for those that looked up. We intercede on their behalf as a church family. And we pray for a revelation of truth, a protection of purity, And we pray for people to come around their lives that will strengthen them in the Lord. And I pray that they would listen, Lord God. That they wouldn't be closed off to it. So I thank you for them looking up, Lord. And I pray they just mark their hearts today, Father. Beyond this service, even later today, I pray that you mark their hearts and they wouldn't forget. October 29th, Lord. It says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body, and so we take and we eat. Then he took the cup. He gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So we take and we drink. So let's stand. We're going to sing this last song. It's a short one. So you want to just click it on back there? It's the last one back there.